Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon. This is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio, where we address all the issues in the life science industry and the politics that relate to it. I hope everyone is doing well today. I'm very excited. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Ann Kwong. Uh, before we get to Dr. Kwong, we will uh, summarize some of the top stories going on today. Uh, there's a new variant that is circulating around that looks like it originated in India and is now in the U.S. at a level of about 10%, uh, a COVID uh, virus variant uh, that's being called variant Delta. Um, And it looks like it's a little more contagious. Uh, They're still assessing uh, the lethality of it, but certainly it's something public health officials will need to stay on top of, but it does look like the, at least at this point, the mRNA vaccines are showing uh, some positive impact on that. So it looks like people who are vaccinated from the mRNA vaccines will have some protection against this new variant. Um, as people think about variants, you know, we've talked a lot about variants in the past. And the main issue out there is not so much uh, for on an individual basis, but a variant is a public health issue. You know, certainly we recognize that this is a disease, a virus that affects older adults. Uh, unlike other respiratory viruses that tend to affect younger kids, we've been very lucky uh, that younger kids have, for the majority, uh, have been spared, although uh, this has affected about 4 million kids and there have been some deaths as well. Uh, there is evidence that a lot of news, uh, that story that we heard a lot about last year, whether the virus came out of the uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology or whether it developed naturally, uh, for some reason that issue picked up steam again over the last month. Uh, it's interesting to hear that. Uh, I have not heard any new factual information. It just seems like the same conclusory remarks are being uh, recapitulated a year later, uh, I think the uh, w- from the information I see, uh, my honest assessment is I still don't know. It looks like this did come out of China, uh, and I think the fact that uh, Chinese aren't being as uh, forthright and tra- transparent when it comes to uh, providing information is basically causing people to fill in the blanks and just, you know, it seems like make things up because at this point, uh, there's a lot of speculation, you know, people got sick last year around the time when this happened in the area of Wuhan. 
you know, I think jumping to that conclusion that four people or a handful of people from the Wuhan Institute uh, had respiratory viruses during, uh, you know, what we would consider our flu season really to me doesn't seem like a compelling piece of evidence, uh, more anecdotal than anything else. But again, it adds to that speculation, especially uh, when we don't have all the information uh, that it should be readily available to fully investigate this. So it's going to be interesting to see if this uh, story just dies down again, or if uh, uh, certainly President Biden has suggested that in 90 days, he wants to see a full report on this. Uh, but again, without that without feet on the ground and that information uh, coming out of China, it's going to be pretty tough to uh, pull together any information, in my opinion. So uh, we'll be interesting to see what goes on there. Um, the majority uh, of patients uh, that we know in the U or excuse me, subjects that we know in the U.S. that are uh, make up the bulk of unvaccinated are now younger people. Uh, it looks like uh, most states have over 60% of the population vaccinated. Some are now over 70%. We heard President Biden say he wanted the country uh, adults vaccinated by July 4th. Uh, we're probably going to miss that mark. Uh, the rate of vaccinations has slowed down. Uh, there was that obviously that initial volume when everyone wanted to get vaccinated at first. And then when after that J&J &J pause, uh, we saw a precipitous drop-off of people getting vaccinated. Uh, as I mentioned in the past, I think it was the right re right decision to uh, to pause the J&J &J vaccine. Uh, people have a right to know if you're telling them they should get vaccinated. They have a right to know uh, that there are side effects that could affect them, no matter how minuscule they are. So I know there was a lot of debate that because of that pause of J&J, &J, that slowed down the vaccination campaign. I'm one of those people that think... You know, we need to advise people and give people uh, the right to know all information so they can have informed consent to make this decision. So I'd like to uh, bring on our featured guest now on Politics and Life Science Radio. Uh, my featured guest is Dr. Ann Kwong. Uh, Dr. Kwong is a uh, consultant at Kwong Pharma Consulting. She's a drug discovery and development consultant with a passion for building teams and mentoring folks. She has 30 years of experience in drug discovery, development, regulatory submissions, and commercialization. Uh, Dr. Kwong, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so there was uh, another story that we're hearing about uh, is this $3.2 billion that the Biden administration is putting forth to uh, sort of in the future, combat these potential viruses and diseases. And uh, you were quoted in the Washington Post, uh, I believe it was um, yesterday or maybe even this morning, uh, that said, um, you know, summarizing, basically saying that there's probably not a, a huge demand for that. And more importantly, it just seems like manufac drug manufacturers, drug companies, biotech companies, you know, they really don't have an interest uh, in that at this point. I mean, they want to have drugs that keep you on that constant drip of, you know, that monthly cycle of having repeat customers, so to speak, come back. Uh, what are your thoughts yeah. on this money? Is this wasted money? Oh, I don't think it's wasted at all. But I, I just like to add a little historical context. When I started working Please. in an industry in the early 90s, every pharma company had an antiviral 
and Infectious Disease Division. People worked on antibacterial drugs. People worked on antiviral drugs. Uh, everyone and uh, and then basically the hepatitis C drugs came out. Um, and if you remember, hepatitis C virus in the in, in in the 90s and early 2000s, it was the leading cause of liver transplant. And hepatitis C virus is a chronic virus. It's the only virus that we can actually cure with a drug now. It's, it's really unbelievable. Um, and it's a drug. It's a virus that if you have it, you are basically progressing along the path over about 30 years towards liver failure and or liver cancer. And, and what's amazing is that by treatment with these drugs, which are very, very good right now, they're oral combinations, they have like a 99% cure rate, very, very high cure rate, very low side effects. Um, they can reduce your risk of progressing for liver cancer and liver failure by 80%. Uh, but the, first of all, two things happened. The price came out uh, for the all oral combinations, the famous $1,000 a pill de, uh, drug by Gilead. Um, and billions and billions of dollars were made, first of all. Um, and second of all, um, the price was so high that insurers said, right, all these people need to get treated because they're marching along towards that cliff where they fall off and they get liver cancer or liver failure. But we're just not going to treat them. We're just going to let you progress along until you're basically starting to fall off the cliff and then we'll treat you which I think is really unethical. But this was part of the, the pricing. And what happened is that literally billions and billions and billions of dollars were made with hepatitis C virus treatment, even though many, many people were left on the sidelines and are not able to get treated. So all your middle-income countries, you know, Egypt had to go and break patents and make their own drugs. Mexico couldn't get treatments. Eastern Europe, Southern Europe. Um, the pricing is, always, is, is done uh, focusing on... Uh, the, you know, Western Europe, the U.S., and Japan. Um, and, and so what happened is then uh, Gilead actually in, in about five years made $58.5 billion by 2018 when it first started coming out in, in 2012. And um, the thing is is that investors, uh, you know, just wanted uh, it, you know, the money to just keep coming and coming and coming. Um, but the great thing about these ACV drugs is that it's kind of the good news and the bad news. The good news is that they were curing people. So, for example, in, in 2013, uh, Gilead made $139 million on the HCV franchise. 2014, $12 million. In 2015, 19, 40. And basically, again, by 2017, they had made $55 billion, right? Uh, by the way, it was $12 billion, $19 billion, $14 billion, $9 billion, not million. Um, and the problem is that the way the investors were working, they just wanted to have, you know, to maintain that very, very high profit. And, and drugs in general are, you know, the price just keeps going up. Almost any drug that you see, the price doesn't go over, down over time over the life of the patent. It actually goes up. It's high as on the last day. And so what happened over the, over the years is that companies basically dropped out. Investors were no longer interested in antiviral drug development. And all these companies dropped out. So BMS dropped, Pfizer dropped out of antiviral drug development. BMS, which made all these HIV drugs, and one of the first um, foundational uh, HIV drugs, an NS5A inhibitor, it dropped out. Um, you know, Vertex, the company I work at that made one of the first HIV drugs, it dropped out. So many companies dropped out. And, 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 and basically investors are not interested 
have not been interested until this last year where now there's been money interested in COVID. Um, but it's, you know, it takes 10, 15 years to make a drug. You can't just wait until, you know, an epidemic comes up and like turn the crank and all of a sudden something will pop out. You get stupid stuff like hydroxyquinolone, you know, things like that. So um, I'm excited about this 3.2 billion, um, you know, program that Fauci and, and the Biden administration are putting together because I'm hoping that this will be a little bit like the war on cancer or the really big push to make AIDS drugs, you know, in, in the late 80s and the 90s. Maybe we can start to get some funding in here and get ahead of the curve because believe me, viruses are amazing. And, you know, I, you know we've already had three coronaviruses come out, the, the SARS coronavirus, the MERS coronavirus, which is still around and has a very high death rate, but it doesn't infect that many people. And now this one, the COVID-19, the SARS-CoV-2. And it's just a function of time, or we're going to get an influenza pandemic. Um, and we can just sit around with our head in the sand, or we can start funding some of these things and make drugs that will, you know, be, be available and, and ready to use, you know, when it comes and not have to wait, you know, uh, you know, and not have anything when, when the next epidemic comes or the next really severe infection. So I'm excited about this, but we'll see if investors and companies start, you know, step up to the plate. And, you know, antiviral drugs are not easy to make because for, for you know, rapid infections, there's a timing issue. You need to get the drug in there. And the best thing is, is if you actually have the drug ahead of time, and for your vulnerable population, you can prophylactically treat. You can treat them ahead of time because, you know, a vaccine doesn't do any good once you're infected. <laughs> you know, vaccines are preventive, right? And then there's a lot of people, of course you want to have vaccines, but there are a lot of people for whom a vaccine's not going to work. They might be immunocompromised. Many, many times older people can't mount good immune responses or very, very, very young. Um, and so I think you need to have a combination of antiviral drugs and vaccines if you really want to get a handle on, on the upcoming new viral infections that are going to be coming down the pike. So are you aware how this money will be allocated? Was that announced yet, or is it just uh, sort of a, a more broad-based announcement? It was a broad-based announcement. I haven't seen uh, any details on how they're going to allocate that, I'm sure. Because be I guess thing. the question I have is, you know, when you think about it, uh, let's say we do have another pandemic or a situation, maybe not as bad as a pandemic, but there's another virus that, you know, we need to treat, and that's in 15 years. Uh, is the mm -hmm. money that we're spending now, will that, in your opinion, build the foundation for retroviral or viral drugs or any other type yes. of drugs that come out of this? Yes, I think so. Um, right now, there's a number of different companies that are working on pan-coronavirus inhibitors. So viruses, uh, antiviral drugs that will be able to be active not only against, you know, SARS, MERS, and uh, the COVID-19 coronavirus, but I'm sure there's going to be new ones coming along. I mean, the way we're pushing, you know, all, all the animals, and we have such close interaction with bats and all these, you know, other animals that, that harbor these viruses, it's just going to be a matter of time. Um, and companies are working on these things, but it, it takes a lot of money to get all the way through. And there needs to be a pathway. So if the U.S. government can make a path for this and help support these companies and help support this kind of nascent work, then I, I, I actually think it can work. But 
we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, the other thing that we need to work, worry about is influenza because, you know, influenza pandemic is really a matter of time because you get all this mixing between the viruses that get reassorted, you know, in wild birds and, 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 and pigs and stuff and, and, and then get all these different strains. And after a matter of time, you get, if you get a new influenza variant that no one has exposure to and no protection, that's when you get a pandemic. And then you're screwed, you know, because you don't have time. And so you really want to have really good antiviral drug to, you know, on, on hand uh, ahead of time. And, and the only way you can do this is, is, is to prepare it now, start preparing now for something that happens 10 years from now. This is Dean Finale on Politics and Life Science Radio. I'm talking with Dr. Ann Kwong of Kwong Pharma Consulting. Uh, Dr. Kwong, we saw, I mean, you're mentioning about drug development and this $3.2 billion that the uh, Biden administration is going to put towards uh, development uh, for potential issues that we're in now. When you look back to last year, you know, in your opinion, as an expert in this area, what did, how did you feel when you saw we had two vaccines authorized in less than a year? Uh, I mean, it's pretty, in my opinion, it was pretty amazing. What do you think about that? It's totally amazing, especially for a novel technology. These mRNA vaccines have not been done before. Um, and not just that, I mean, the efficacy is spectacular in the 90%, great, greater than 90% range, right? I mean, for influenza, you're lucky if you get an efficacy of 40%. It's just, it's really, we're, we are so fortunate and people can't count on this to happen all the time. We, you can't pull this out of your hat too many times in, in your lifetime, right? But it's amazing. And, and I have to say that, you know, when I went and got my vaccine, and I, was, I, I live in Massachusetts, and I saw all these people, you know, organizing, volunteering, coordinating, the U.S. government buying it, and so, you know, I didn't have to pay out of pocket, and neither did any of the other people waiting in line. Tears came to my eyes. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when we all got vaccinated against polio and lined up, and it's amazing. It's totally amazing. And, and so if we can do this not just for vaccines but also for antiviral drugs, we'll be so much better prepared. And, you know, hopefully we won't have so many people die the next time around. I agree. It really is amazing. And I think, you know, a lot of people see the Pfizer uh, BioNTech vaccine getting authorized, then Moderna getting authorized, then J&J, and they think, oh, vaccines just get authorized. Well, we just heard no. uh, news yesterday out of CureVac that one yep. of the, you know, crown jewels of German biotechnology, they've been working on mRNA technology for probably over 20 years, and their vaccine candidate only had a 47% efficacy right. rate in its trial. So yeah, I and think we Merck's really kind of got spoiled. Failed. Yeah, Merck's vaccine didn't work. They didn't bring it forward because it didn't, it didn't look good enough. It's not a slam dunk. We are really, really fortunate. And, uh, and you know, I think the warp speed uh, approach, which I hope the, the $3.2 billion uh, initiative for antivirals will learn from that, this whole partnership between, you know, government, and academics and, and companies, I think this is terribly important. Like, we, no one company or no one person knows everything, especially no one person, right? There's so many handoffs, like the whole supply chain, uh, et, et cetera, right? The clinical trials, the science, the basic science, et cetera, et cetera. It's a real community that has to come together. Um, and, and 
the government can help enable that for sure. They did that with the vaccine initiative. So I'm hoping that will happen here. And, and, and look at cancer drugs, right? You remember when like cancer, forget it, nobody, nobody was getting cured for anything. Now we have all these amazing, you know, CAR T drugs or small molecule drugs. People can get advanced myeloma and get, you know, like advanced melanoma, I'm sorry, like Jimmy Carter. Remember Jimmy Carter had advanced, he had, he had melanoma, you know, in his brain. And, he, and basically he was cured. It's unbelievable how if you really put it to it and you bring the right people together and put the funding together, we can get amazing things done. But you have to put, you have to value that and do it. Um, and you have to do it in a timely fashion. So I'm, I'm very, very hopeful, hopeful. But yes, I think the, this vaccine initiative with COVID-19 is, is just beautiful, uh, the way it was done. And, and the initial vaccines, yes, they're very difficult, you know, they have to be kept under cold storage, et cetera, et cetera. But the ones that are coming along, the JJ vaccine, others, you know, they're they're much more stable um, and they'll be more useful in, in other countries where, you know, you can't keep everything at minus 20 or minus 80 degrees. Uh, and so that's great. I think we, you know, we didn't try to wait for making, you know, we didn't let the, the you know, perfect become the enemy of the good. So the first vaccines that came out, they were very successful. They're very, you know, high efficacy, but they're really difficult to handle from a transportation standpoint, from a manufacturing standpoint. So that's not where you want to end up, you know, for the whole world. But it's fantastic that we that that they came out, and we, you know, just keep do, making our best as time goes on. And speaking of the whole world, and this is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. I'm talking to Dr. Kwong. Dr. Kwong. What do you, you know, we've heard a lot about, talked a lot about the U.S. and uh, drugs and vaccines here, you know, but for, by and large, the rest of the world is still, some places aren't even getting vaccinated yet, so they're still way behind the U.S. There was talk of waiving patents and, you know, how, as a means to kind of accelerate the uh, manufacture and distribution in, in developed countries. What do you see as far as uh, developed countries, South America, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, you know, their chances of getting a vaccine uh, in the future? Do you think it's, you know, this year or are we looking into next year? And when do you think kind of on a global scale, uh, you know, we have this or the rest of the globe's where the U.S. is? Well, I, I don't think that waiving the patents is the solution because, just because you have the patent doesn't, I mean, you know, the manufacturing isn't simple. You have to do it under, you know, TMP. You have to know what you're doing. So I think making it, incentivizing companies to make the drugs available and, and finding a way to support the payment of that. And then, like the Biden administration is buying what they announced, you know, in, 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 in Europe, that they're going to make 500 million, you know, shots available this next year, right? I think that's that's what we should do. We don't want to just relax the patents and then have shitty, you know, vaccines out there. We want to have really, really good vaccines out there, but let's make it available. And and this is happening. I mean, you're you're seeing, you know, China's making vaccines, the the Russia's making vaccines. India will eventually be able. India's been a big vaccine manufacturer, but they've been overwhelmed, and 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 so you know, eventually they'll they'll get they'll get going again. But I I think that we should really push on the, on the manufacturing and distribution end, but not uh, try to turn it over to people who have no idea how, how to do it, basically. Uh, just continue to do I, what we're doing and, and fund it. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As a, as a patent attorney, it's uh, a pleasure to hear. <laughs> really glad to hear you <laughs> say that. Yeah, so, I, you uh, know. Dr. Kwan, where can people find out more information uh, on you and um, and your pharma consulting? They can go to LinkedIn and uh, you know um, contact me through there. Uh, my um, they can they can send an email to me there as well, uh, and so that's that's quite easy. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Kwong. Uh We spoke with Dr. Kwong of uh, Kwong Pharma Consulting. A lot of uh, great information, uh, and I have to say, uh, you know, this money that's going toward development of these antivirals, uh, couldn't agree more. I think it sets that foundation for uh, drugs uh, and biotech, uh, or excuse me, biotechnology uh, in the future. So certainly great news, and glad to have Dr. Kwong share some of this great information with us today. Thank you all for joining us today, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.